Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. Tonight we're going to um, we're going to uh, continue our study in the Book of Revelation. I know we've been doing that on Wednesday nights, but you know that the Lord took me in a different direction last Wednesday night. Uh, and I want to share, so I want us to, I want to keep us on track if the Lord will help us today uh, and this evening. I want us to continue our, our study in the book of Revelation. I'm going to do that tonight. I'm going to do that Wednesday night to kind of get us called up to where, uh, to where that we need to be. And we're going to start tonight in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking over the next, over these next few lessons, over these next few studies. We're going to look at God's message to the church. We've already, we've already talked about chapter 1. We've talked about the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've talked about John showing, uh, Jesus showing himself to John on the Isle of Patmos in the theme of these scriptures that he would say in chapter 1. He would say, John, what I'm getting ready to show you or what I'm getting ready to speak to you, take it back to the seven churches that are in Asia and begin and tell them, give them this message. And we've known throughout the course of history, we know throughout scripture, we know, we know that God's ultimate plan, that Christ's ultimate plan, that this was not just simply a message to a to one local body. It was a message to the church in general. And God is speaking to the churches. God is God is wanting to talk to the churches. And so over the next over these next few lessons that we will that we will be involved in, we're going to look at Christ's message to the church and what he has to say and what he has to say to them. Because see they tell us that we ought to get a physical checkup every year. Uh, I just did. I just did an employee physical uh, just on on Friday, and I had to go in, and they had to check me out. They had to had to do some things to make sure that I was uh, that I was fit to walk into a classroom and handle a bunch of rowdy teenagers. And uh, they decided that I'm that I'm fit for active duty. And, uh, uh, and so I had to do that. I had to, uh, and then I've got I've got my yearly physical that's coming up in uh, in October, and it's encouraged that, that that doctors tell us that we have to get that physical checkup every year to see if anything is wrong. What I've realized is a lot can could have for a lot of people. Could have been prevented in uh, in, in their physical uh, in their physical things. If uh, I, I, I think of my dad, for an example, there could have probably been some things that could have been prevented in his life, or at least slowed down a little bit, had he went to a yearly physical. I think of our cars a little bit. Uh, if you know, a lot of things could be prevented if. We get them, sir. If we get them serviced regularly, my dad was a mechanic. My dad had his own car business and had a garage. And oftentimes, he would tell people they would come in to get their car serviced, and he would say, "Well, you need uh, uh, you, you need uh, you need a, uh, your timing belt 
they have changed. It's time for it to be changed. And you know how we are. You know, we just say, well, we just came in for, for this. I don't need any of all that. My dad's trying to tell him. Yeah, well, but you need this part of your vehicle needs to be serviced. And my dad would always tell him, now listen. He said, you can either pay me now or you can pay me later. And he said, I promise you, if you come back later, it's going to cost you a lot more. Come on, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already getting somewhere good on this, and and, and probably ninety percent of the time it wouldn't be too, it wouldn't be too long till till that person come having the car towed in and and said and and would tell my dad and say, oh now you know, now the motor's blown up in it. And, and what would have been, you know, a $100 part or, or back in those days would probably have been even cheaper than that. Now it was going to cost two or $3,000 to fix the engine. But if they would have been willing to take care of, uh, of, of the little stuff and the preventative stuff could have kept them from a lot of heartache down the road. Amen. And so in the medical profession, let's get back to this. In the medical profession, the person who studies diseases, anybody know what we call somebody who studies diseases in the medical field? It's called a pathologist. A pathologist studies diseases. Pathology is the scientific study of the nature of disease. It, it, its causes, its processes, its development, its cons, it, its consequences. Somebody that's the, that people who study cancer, people who study diabetes and things like that. The, these diseases that at times wreck people's bodies, and, and what can be done to help offset things, or help prevent, or help prolong, or help prolong uh, health and, and and longevity. All that stuff is necessary. I just happen to also think that there are times we ought, as the church, ought to have a spiritual checkup. All right. At times I think that we, as the church, ought to, ought to come under the examination of Dr. Jesus. And have him, and have him look at us, check us over. And begin to, to examine us. I know that the Bible says that. Well, I know that the Bible says that we ought to examine ourselves to see whether or not if we are in the faith or not. But there are times that we ought to let God Himself examine us. And, and in this study, we find out that God's going to give an examination to seven churches. He's going to look at seven churches. Seven churches, and he's going to give them an examination. He's going to talk. He's going to he's going to look them over from head to toe, and he's going to say the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. Because how many knows? See, see. At times we want just the positive, right? Sometimes we want just we we, we want we want to be told everything that's good. But how many knows that that's a very unrealistic, unhealthy lifestyle to live. Sometimes you got to take some criticism. Right? I, we've been at, at our house on, 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 on Hulu. We've been, we've been watching, we've been watching The Rookie. Anybody ever heard of that show? I've had, I, I love that show. I, I, I'm telling you, I, 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 I love it. Um, I, I, listen, I, I hate 
personally, there is one cop that I hate. I, and uh, so we're only in season two, and I know that's a that's a strong word to use, hate. But I and and I really haven't liked him since the very first episode. I really, I really don't like Bradford. You know, I, I don't like Bradford. I think he's a jerk. I think he you know and, and everything. Uh, I think you know, but but that's it. But that's neither that's neither here or there. But what I realized, it, 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 but what I don't like so much about him is things that are essential to the job. He doesn't have he doesn't have any. If you haven't watched the show, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But he has no bedside manner. When he messes up, he'll just look at you and tell you, "Guess what? You messed up." He ain't patting you, he ain't patting you on the hand telling you everything's going to be good. No, he's going to say, you know what? If it wasn't for me, you would have died in this situation. All right? And so, and, and so sometimes we actually need somebody as much as, as, as we would despise it, as much as we would walk away with our boo-boo face on, you know, with our, with our, you know, with our, you know, with our lip, you know, uh, Puckered out, you know, goes, oh, you know, they really hurt my feelings, you know, I, you know, and they ought to say, no, but see, and Jesus is doing the same. I'm getting somewhere with this. Because Jesus is going to look at these churches, and yes, and yes, there are going to be things that he's going to commend them for. And we're going to talk, and we're going to talk about that. Yes, there are going to be things that, that he's going to say, you know what, you're doing all of these things, right? But then there are going to be some of these things, some of these churches that he's going to look at, and he's going to say, if you don't fix this, you're going to go to hell. And so that's what, and so, so it's a spiritual checkup for a spiritual checkup with with churches. You see, in his book, you can be, your church can be healthy. Listen to what Arthur, uh, author Peter Wagner has to say in his book, Your Church Can Be Healthy. In the very beginning of his book, he says, this book is only a beginning. He says, I hope that the field of church pathology will develop over the next few years into an increasingly sophisticated body of knowledge which will be useful in identifying and removing obstacles to church growth. He says, because in his book, he describes eight diseases that churches frequently contract. I don't have time to talk about all of those tonight, but I, but I encourage you to get this book and actually read it because it, because it, it, it'll help us also in our personal, it'll help us in our families. You see, Jesus looks at the church and he tells the church, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to discuss some things with you. We need to sit down and we need to have a, we need to have a powwow. We need to be able to talk about some things. And that's what he told John here in the book of Revelation. He, he begins by telling them, he says, I want, he says, these are the seven churches that I want to talk to. I don't know why he picked seven churches. I don't know that reason. I don't know why he specifically chose these seven churches to talk to. The Bible doesn't tell us. So where the Bible doesn't explain it to me, I'm not going to try to fill in the blanks. All I know is that God is sovereign and God knows exactly what it is that he's doing. And the first church that he comes to, and I was thinking about this as, as Brother Barber was preaching this morning, is that he comes to the church at Ephesus, and he begins to talk to the church at Ephesus, and begins to talk. It begins to basically give the 
pathology report for this church. And so let's read, let's, let's read our text tonight. And then we're gonna then we're gonna dive then we're gonna dive into this. Revelation chapter two, let's begin reading at verse one. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, if you're reading the Bible like mine, these are words that are written in red. So we believe that anytime that we see the words written in red, that that's where Jesus is. Is actually speaking. So it's Jesus that's given the message to the church. Verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou cannot bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them lying. And is born and has patience. And for, my, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left. Thy first love. Remember therefore from which thou art fallen and repent. Do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast, thou also hate that you hate the deed of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You may be seated this morning or this evening. So he's talking to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was a, was a cultural center. Was that experienced revival. As a matter of fact, Ephesus was the city we read about Ephesus throughout scripture. We have a we have a book of the Bible that is written to the Ephesians. It is written to the church at Ephesus. We we read that it is there that Paul in Ephesus encounters 12 disciples that have never heard of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Some theologians will call them the 12 in the dark because Paul because uh, Paul gets to Ephesus and he asked him, he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they tell us, well, we hadn't even heard whether there even be a Holy Ghost. Paul asked them, where, then where, what unto you were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized unto John into repentance. And the Bible says that he baptized them in the name of Jesus. And then he laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It was a, it was a cultural center it, that was steeped in ideology. It was a place that it was a place that one of the original seven wonders of the world was erected. It was right there in the city of Ephesus. We actually heard about it here in this uh, this morning in the message this morning. Because in the city of Ephesus was the temple that was dedicated to the goddess Diana. Diana's temple sat in the heartbeat 
of Ephesus. And it was known as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. There was so many, there was so many things that happened during, uh, that happened in this that was so anti-God, that was so, that was so against God. But God sent a revival to Ephesus. God sent a revival to this place and God, and God began to move. People began to get saved. People, people began to, to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God so revolutionized Ephesus that there came a point and you'll find this and you'll read this in the book of Acts that you'll find that they begin to bring their, their, their books on sorcery. They begin to bring uh, all their witchcraft stuff all of their occultic stuff and they get to the town square and they start having a burning party. They begin to burn they begin to burn some stuff My, listen I, I just want to stop right here and I want to preach for a minute to you. I wish that God would so radically change Powell County and Stanton in the surrounding areas and even some churches to where when God does such a revolutionized work in our lives, we'll burn some stuff, we'll throw out some stuff, we'll get rid of some stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll throw out some stuff, some things that we shouldn't be watching or some things that we shouldn't be listening to and, and, and begin to let God do that work because that's what happened here. I mean, God, God is doing such a great work in Ephesus. And he begins to talk to them. And he says, and he begins to talk to this church. He begins to address this church by telling them. He says, I am he. Look at verse one. He says, I am he who, 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 who holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Who is talking here? Jesus is talking here. Jesus is making the announcement. When John sees Jesus, where does he see Jesus? He sees him standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. What are the seven golden candlesticks? You've got to go back to chapter one to understand that the seven golden lampstands are the church. And so here's, here, here's the thing. Whatever God does, God does through the church. I know that we've got some messed up people in the church. I know that we've been through so much, but whatever Jesus decides to do, he decides to do it through the church. There are no rogue agents in the kingdom of God. Alright? I, I, I'm leery. I'm an evangelist myself. I'm leery. I'm leery of preachers that don't have roots somewhere. I, 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 I'm, I'm leery of people. I'm leery of people that go to church over here for a couple of weeks and then go over to church over here for a couple of weeks and they can't and they can't get some and they can't get some stability in a, that's not what God intended for the church. Alright, can I just take a side note right here? Can I tell you what God's what God's desire for the church is? The God's desire for us and the church is to get rooted and to get planted. Amen? Get rooted and get planted. God didn't call us to change churches as much as we change our socks and underwear. Alright? And so, whatever he decides to do, God decides to do through the church. Why? Because it's his church. And he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail 
against it. And so he, so he's standing in the midst of the church. Then he says, he says, I hold the seven stars in my hand. What are the stars? You got to go back and look at chapter one. It's the angels or it's the messengers of the church. I personally believe that it is the pastors of the church. The, 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 the shepherds, the fly, the ones, the overseer, the overseers of the church. God gives a message to John to take back to the leadership of that church to tell the church this is what's going on. And this is what he says in verse 2. He says, I know thy works. I know thy labor. I want you to think about this because Jesus is already telling the church, I know. I know what you're facing. I know what you're going through. I know the circumstances surrounding your life. I know everything about you. I know, I, I know what, I know what you're, I know what you're up against. He says, I know your labor. He says, I know your patience. I know you actually can't stand them that call themselves evil. I know you've even tried them who said that they are apostles and are not and have found them, have found them to be liars. I know all of that about you. They would even try, Brother Johnny, they would try they would try everybody that came in and said, you know what? I have a word from the Lord. And if they were turned out to be liars, they would tell them, you know what? You're a liar. Man, that, that falls in, that falls, that flies in the face. I mean, I mean, we're listening, we're listening to this YouTube prophet, we're listening to this person on t on TV, we're listening to this person on the radio, and we're filtering all that, and we don't have discernment in the American church anymore. But I want to tell you, the Ephesus church, they tried everything that walked in the doors of their church. Oh. They tried, because that's what does the Bible say? The Bible says to try the spirits. To see, to see whether or not if they are God. Just because it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, doesn't mean that it's a duck in the house of God. And he says, I know your works. He says, I know your labor. He says, I know your toil. You're a hard-working group of people. He says, I know that you've, what you've borne, you've had patience. As a matter of fact, You've been in this for the long run. You've got patience. Another word for patience is endurance. You have this, you have this endurance about you. You know, you're not giving up every every couple of weeks. He's, he's telling the Jesus is telling the church, we're not we're not having, you know, every time something bad happens, we're not having to look for you for the next six weeks to see whether or not why you're not in church. You've got endurance. You've got you've got some stickability about your life. You've got you, you, you're in this you're in this for the long haul, right? I mean, and he says, I, he says, I know, I know all of, of that. He says, he said, and you've done it all in my name. You've done it all in my name. Now think about that. Everything about what Ephesus is doing has been done in the name of Jesus. We would love that church. As a matter of fact, look down at look down at, at look down at verse 
number six. He says, you also, you also hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What is that? There's a lot of debate over what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are. Is this okay tonight? I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but this, I believe this is important. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. What was the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Basically, and long short, the Nicolaitans were a group of people that believe, you know what? They can do whatever they want to do. They can live however they want to live. They can they, they, they can say whatever they want to say. They can drink whatever they want to drink. They can, you know, because it, it was this it was this belief that it was the flesh that was bad, but it was the spirit that was ultimately good. And so if I did something bad, you know, that's that that's that old flesh. That's not actually the that's not actually that's not actually the spirit. You know what, you know what we how we describe it today? This is how we describe it today. We describe it today and go, oh, well, I know that they did bad, but, you know, they, they ultimately have a good heart. No, they don't. Oh, yeah, I know y'all weren't, weren't prepared for me to say that, but no, they don't. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the heart, the heart, see, you can't trust your heart. Can't trust your heart. Because here's what the Bible says about your heart and my heart. The heart is deceitful. At the end of the day, there's nothing righteous about me. My righteous, my righteousness, my righteousness is, is as is as filthy rags. And just like it's like the preacher said this morning, we can actually live, you know, we can live above sin in this life. We know we can live above sin in this life. We can. You know, we've heard it this morning. We don't have to sin a little bit every day. We don't have to, we don't have to, you know, we, we don't have to drink a little bit or snort a little bit or sleep around a little bit and, and, and still think that we're going to get to heaven because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that none of that stuff is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when we get to heaven, see, the Oak Ridge boys used to sing an old song years ago that used to say, that used to say, you know, come, you, you know, come on in, you've done the best you can. You know, there's a little bit of right in me, there's a little bit of wrong, yeah, there's a little bit of right and wrong in each of us. No, that's not how God looks at it. God doesn't do, God doesn't do things that way. God doesn't, God doesn't do things that way. And Ephesus was a church that understood all of that. They stood for right doctrine. They stood, they, they stood for, they, they, they stood for the truth. They stood for, they, they stood for, uh, for righteousness. They stood for holiness. This was a church everybody in town wanted to go to. I want you to think about that. I mean, if, if we're, if we're picturing, I mean, there's unity in the church. I mean, everybody's working together. Nobody's backbiting anybody. Nobody's gossiping about anybody. Nobody's trying to usurp anybody's authority. They're all, I mean, they're clicking on all cylinders. Everything on the surface looks good about this church. But Jesus says, in verse 4, He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now let me stop right there. I want to take, I want to take my time on this uh, as, as we teach this and as we and as we look at this. 
Because when we look at when we look at this, we 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 think that God's going to look over, is going to look at all the good stuff, and He's going to He's going to weigh everything out, and He's going to say, "Well, there's more good than there is bad. There's more there's more righteousness than there are than there is sin." God is not going to do that. He's not. He He, he is not going to do that. You're going to find you're going to find out here because listen what he says because above all of this above right doctrine above uh, above above trying the spirits above above the unity and everything what was the issue of this church verse 4 tells us he says nevertheless Jesus is speaking he says nevertheless i have somewhat against you because you have left your first love That's that hits me. That hits me, Brother Johnny, when I think about that. Because Jesus is looking at them and says, You're doing all the right things, but you're doing them out of the wrong motive. You have actually, now some translations. Or some people actually quote this verse and they say you have lost your first love. But that is not what happened. This was a deliberate act upon the church at Ephesus. They walked away. They left the place of first love. What they are now doing is not born out of a love. It is, it is what they are doing is now just become so commonplace to them. Has now become, has now become such a routine to them that they're not doing it out of a place of love. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, love is the most important virtue that the church can actually have. Amen. See, in the Pentecostal church, we talk a lot about faith. But faith is not the greatest virtue that you can have. We, 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 can, we, can, talk, we can talk about hope, but hope is not the greatest virtue that you can actually have. As a matter of fact, Paul would write to the Corinthian church in Corinthians chapter 13... We call that we call that the love we call that the love chapter because he starts off by saying that love never fails. Love never fails. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that it's love that covers a multitude of sin. It covers a it covers a multitude of sin. He writes, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and he tells them and he says, now abideth faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is love. Jesus, it, it, Jesus is questioned by somebody one day and he says, what is the greatest commandment of them all? Jesus looks at him and said, you know, out of all the commandments, if you know by the time we got to Jesus Time, there's over 600 commandments that they have to follow. And this guy is asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, 
What is, out of all the 600 and some odd commandments, what is the greatest? This is what, this is what he tells, just what Jesus tells him. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And the second is like unto the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and all of, and on these two hangs all the law and the prophets. What is he talking about? He says, everything flows from love. Everything flows from a heart of love. Love for God, love for people, love for, love for your fellow man. And so Jesus tells the church in Ephesus here, he says, you have left your first love. What is it that they have left behind? What is this love that they, that they walked away from, deliberately walked away from, or became so casual about it? I believe it's twofold. I believe it's their ultimate love for God and their love for people. They became, are you ready? They became maintainers. They became so occupied by the work that they realized that they failed to realize where their heart needed to be in all of this. And don't at times, isn't that what we do at times in our relationships? In our relationships with Christ and in our relationships with each other is that sometimes we get so in the habit of the routine that we leave the focus of what it actually is. That it's our love for Him. It's our love. It, 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 is, our, it is our love for, it is our love for each other. And he says, you've walked, you've walked away, you've walked away from it. And it gets me to thinking, because see, here, here's, here's how it looks. I remember, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up here in a minute. I remember, Pastor, when I first got saved, I mean, I'll never forget, in fact, I just celebrated it 22 years. August the 17th of 2001 was when I got saved. 22 years. I remember when I got saved, Brother Johnny. Oh man, I couldn't. I, I just wanted to spend time with the Lord. I just wanted to spend time in His presence. I'd go to school, get out of school, get to the house, go in my bedroom, get the Bible out, kneel down beside my bed, be reading my Bible and talking to the Lord. I, just, I, was, just so, I was just so in love with Him. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted that with him. I'd go to work, and I'd be I, as a teenager. I worked at a, I worked at a. My first job was working at a parts store, and I would, and so all my job was, I just had to deliver parts. I'd go to the store, pick up everything, 
take them to where they needed to go, come back and get another load, take them where, wherever they needed to go. And so I'm just in that truck. I'm driving that, I'm driving that truck, 16, 17 years old. And, and I'm just talking, I'm just talking to the Lord. I, I just, God, I just, I just want to, I just want to talk to you. I just want to, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for the church doors to be open because I wanted to be in church. And there were times in my life that I felt like I didn't have that urgency anymore. There were times I felt like I didn't have that, that feeling of, of deep devotion to God anymore. Oh yeah, I still paid my tithe. Oh yeah, I still I still sang I still sang in the choir. Yeah, you know, I still I still went out and I preached and I evangelized and all of those different types of things. But it came more of a duty than it did out of a place of love. I wasn't doing it because I love I did it. I was doing it just because that's now this is the routine to do it. You've heard you've you you heard me you've heard me talk about Meeting, uh, meeting my wife, meeting Jessica, and how when we when we started when we started dating, I couldn't wait to be around her. I hated to be I hated to be apart. I hated to be apart from her. I didn't want to be apart from her. I accepted a new position in the company that I worked with and a new location simply because my routing took me by her house. And I wanted to see, and I wanted, I wanted to see her. So I'd stop by early in the morning to see her. I stopped by because I wanted, I needed to see her. Not that I just wanted to, but I need, I needed to see her. It's the first love. See, that's and so and so and there's and there's been times even in our 13 years of marriage that if I'm not careful, it just becomes routine. And there's no there's no there's no spark there. There's no there's there's no real see now I believe I say I believe that as the years go on that 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 the love between the love should always grow deeper. But you should never lose the excitement of your relationship. That's the reason why, and I've talked, and I've and I've counseled married couples. And here's that when 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 I sit down with a married couple that are actually talking about the D word, talking about divorce, because because I'm going somewhere with this. Listen. To what he, because listen to what he says. He says, because how can you recover from this place of misplaced love? He says, he says, remember, verse 5, from where that you have fallen and repent and do your first works. Whenever that I have a married couple that is sitting in front of me that are contemplating divorce, my first policy is this I don't want to know the problem. And that's what we always, that's what we always want to do, right? We want to get in. And, and sure enough, the husband wants to tell wants to wants wants to tell me everything wrong that the wife is doing, or the wife is wanting to tell me everything wrong everything wrong that that the husband is doing. And you need to fix my husband, and you need and you need to fix and you need to fix my wife. I will entertain that in the first few in the first few meetings. I won't even listen to any of that. 
But my first question is this. Is I'll look at both of them and I'll say, hey, what made you fall in love with her? What made you fall in love with him? What was it? What was that first love? What, what, when y'all first started dating or when y'all first started getting married, what was it like? Oh, and you start hearing, you start hearing, you know, you start hearing the stories. Oh, he used to, he used to bring me flowers. He used to bring me flowers every day. She used to, she used to leave me little love notes all, you know, all over the house. All over the house for me to find. Used to uh, you know, he, he he used to cook me dinner about one you know, about once a, you know, about once a week you know just because he just knew that I had a hard day you know, a hard week and, and he just wanted to be and I look at them and I say go back and do that again go back and do your first works over again remember remember where you used to be. And Jesus is telling the church at Ephesus, he says, repent and remember what it used to be like when all you wanted was me. Remember what it used to be like when you couldn't wait to get to the house of God. Remember what it used to be like when you would actually just stand up and praise Remember what it used to be like when you would when you would lay before the Lord and you would just cry out and say, God, I gotta have you above everything else. Repent and go back and do that again. Because here's what he says: He says, Because if you don't reclaim this love, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna remove the candlestick out of its place. What does he say in there? He says, eventually going down this road will cost you my presence. You can sing all the right songs, preach all the right messages, but if your heart is not in a place of love, he says, eventually if you don't learn to repent and go back and do your first works over again, he says, I will remove my presence. I will remove the candlestick out of its place except you repent. I don't know about you, but that is that is a, that is, that is a that is a harsh judgment for misplaced love. That is a harsh judgment for misplaced love, but that is the premium that he puts on love. And here is what he get. This is what he tells the church. He says, "If you have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches." He says, "You've got to overcome. What you've got to overcome? You've got to overcome your lack of love." You've got to over, overcome the lack of love to him that overcomes, to him that realizes and can overcome this and rekindle the love in their lives. What, is he, what, what, does, he prom, what does he promise them? He says, to him that overcometh, he says, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What is the tree of life? It's eternal life. Because what is, so when you go to the book of Genesis and you read that he puts the tree of life there, if you partake of it, you live forever. Love is the, is, 
is the preeminence and us living a life that God has for us. Pastor Jeremy, what are you, what are you saying? What are you saying in all of this? This is this is this is an unusual. This is you know this is not what I signed up for you know, on, on, on Wednesday nights. I wish that you would. I wish that you would preach. You know about how that we can. You know, you preach such a good message on Wednesday night about victory, and and you know, I wish that you would preach something along those lines. But here's the thing: I can preach all that all day long, but if we don't have love radiating from our lives, you, our victory is not worth a dime. I'm coming here and preach to you about a lot of things, but we've got to have, we, our, our hearts have got to be right. And in essence, he's telling the church at Ephesus, he says, your hearts, Ephesus is not right. Your hearts are not in the right place. And he's not excusing that. He's not excusing the lack of love that they have towards God and towards people. See, you've heard me probably explain this before, but you really can't have one without the other. In order for me to be right relationally this way, I've got to be right relationally this way. And if this is messed up, eventually this is going to get messed up. Because it works in tandem. That's why we heard this morning so, so wonderfully towards the end of the message about offense. Again, I know this sounds rough. I know it sounds hard. I know it sounds, I know, I, I, I was telling somebody this morning after Sunday school, I said, I wish I had a lot more uplifted message that were teaching that I could have taught. But sometimes when you just go through the word of God, sometimes you just hit some hard stuff, right? And you've got, and you've got to talk about it. Love. We used to sing a song years ago. I'm, I haven't heard it. I've got it somewhere packed away probably at the house. But we used to sing, we used to sing a song that said, Jesus built this church on love, on love. That's what it's all about. Trying to get everybody saved, not to keep anybody out. The door's wide open and just as big as the Father's heart above. I'm glad he said, whosoever will, Jesus built this church on love. See, love is the preeminent thing. I'm over my time. But I wanted to share this with you because out of all the scriptures here is the preeminence of love. Two scriptures. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus later on will look at his disciples and this is what he says. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. Not because of the revivals that they're having. Not because of the signs and wonders that are happening. Can I tell you, listen, listen to me, don't get mad. Can I tell you what will build this church? Build the, to build this church is not a revival. A, a revival will not build this church, will not grow this church. I, 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 listen, I believe in miracles, believe in signs and wonders. Miracles will not build this church. Won't happen. I've prayed that before in my ministry about God opening doors for me in ministry. I, I, I've, had pe- I've had people tell me that. I've had people, you know, other preachers pull me to the side. You know what? You have a few good miracles in your meeting. You, can't, you won't be able to book your meetings fast enough. But that's not the litmus test of my ministry. Can I tell you what it'll be? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not if you can lay hands on the sick and they recover. Not if you can cast out devils. Not if you're preaching 300 days of the year on the evangelistic field. He says, no, he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one toward another. I want us, I want my life to be a reflection of his love. Amen. Stand with me. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry.